What's up, friends and followers of War Media? This is Kyle Means. I want to put y'all up on something real cool, and that's involving our friends at TixBlitz.com, where they got all types of great offers for seats and uh, on events of all kinds. Uh, they hooked us up with a promo code that is promo code WAR, W-A-R-R. You use that and you can save 5% off all purchases at TixBlitz.com or on the TixBlitz app. That's promo code WAR, W-A-R-R, for 5% off on great seats to all events. TixBlitz provides the same great seats as other resellers, but with no service fees. None at all, y'all. I'm telling you, this is the hookup, man. We put you on. Alright. So hook so uh, support us, our friends at TixBlitz.com and never pay service fees again. That once again, TixBlitz.com, TixBlitz app available everywhere, y'all. on mute uh great way to start off but uh yeah this is the running with war show we're busy trying to okay y'all unmute yourselves now you can unmute yourself busy trying to find out what 80s robot group we are (laughs) and uh and all this but this is yeah this is a rare occurrence where we have uh all five of our main uh, contributors on the show tonight. And on top of that, we have a guest as well. We have Ricky O'Donnell coming on at, at uh, 8. I don't know what we're going to do then, but uh, we got uh, for now, we got all our guys here. You can see Chris Pennant, Gabe Wilkins, Josh Hicks, and Drew Stevens on the board with me. Uh, appreciate all you guys coming in. Uh, pretty... You know, I don't know if it's necessarily momentous show, but uh, you know, pretty um, busy show as as typical. We got a lot of talk, quite a bit to talk about in the next hour plus. Um, a lot going on, and uh, on at pretty much all the sides of stuff that we cover: NBA, WNBA, college. Uh, you know, get into a little bit of all that. You know, I want to, uh, you know, shout out uh, do do some. Do a couple shout outs first. I definitely want to shout out our friend and collaborator, School B. Uh, you know, give, we're giving all our best to him right now. Uh, he's uh, you know, mourning the loss of his mother. You know, he was uh, he was planning on having him on the show in February, but uh, he had to, uh, you know, turn his concerns to to his situation with his fam, so we couldn't get him on then. But we uh, look to have him on. Uh, pretty soon, and uh, and I just want to shout him out and let him know that our thoughts are continue to be with him. And, um, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot that's, you know, 
we, we talk about something like that that's personal, more close to personal for us. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of things that's going on in the world right now that's kind of tripped out and crazy. And, you know, we're going to get into a, a few things that I think sort of mirror uh, the, the craziness in society over the course of the show. But I, I want to sh- I want to have us you know, pick us up a little bit, too, man. I want to, you know, have, a, a you know, some some good feelings throughout this show and everything. I don't know if any of y'all could help with that. But if 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 you if you can feel free to uh, to offer any type of good sentiment, you know, something in your life and somebody you know is like something that could help keep us, uh, you know, get us some good momentum going into this show. Yes, don't sir. All, don't all rush. <laughs> 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 you were on the road, man. So I was, I was a little. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, first of all, shout out Rob Manfred for fucking up spring. We love you, my dude. Trying to get an extra fifty thousand dollars for all these dudes who don't know how to run a team well. I told um, you, supposed to be positive, Chris. I'm gonna get into that. <laughs> I said shout out. I said that's shout not, out. That's not, yeah, you shout them out, but you shout them out for some fuckery, man. That's not good. I mean, obviously, it must be good for baseball since he's the base, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. So shout out Rob Manfred, man. You know, he's just growing the game, doing, what, doing what's supposed to be done, taking baseball to his logical conclusion of being antiquated and, and out of touch. So... Good job. Good job. Well, with, with, that, with that said, with that said, then because uh, the, the tie-in I was going to do to that because of baseball being ruined today, uh, at least the start of it, and maybe it's it's near future. Uh, you know, with Chris being on, he could ask. He could add. He's he's like he's already added his personal touch to this, but the tie-in I've had I have with the MLB sort of goes along the lines of what's happening in the WNBA right now to an issue that they have that is tied into their collective bargaining. But it, it's sort of, it, it's to me, it seems sort of very petty in a way and, it, and it's very much reflective of just the way that, you know, the the, the working class really is taken advantage of by the ruling class in every sense. I think that's something that Chris could agree with. You know, it's really, you know, when you look at what's happened in the WN, what happens, what really the, throughout most of the history of the WNBA and the way that those players are undervalued and taken advantage of and not very, not very well taken care of, you know, for, for this situation to come across now where, the uh, the ownership of the New York Liberty is being taken to task. His franchise being taken to task for offering, uh, you know, charter flights for their team, something that is not offered to any team in the WNBA is really the really ridiculous to me. But uh, you know, that's that's something I wanted to, I, I guess, yeah, we say tie that into the ongoing issue with MLB, which. You know, because of their mess, the way that they're ruining the, the way that they're mishandling everything, the league is 
you know, really, it's really engendering more support day day to day, day by day to the players. And, uh, you know, it, it was a lockout to begin with. You know, like I say, Manfred put this on in December, and it, it was, you know, supposed uh, maybe it was supposed to be some tactic to try to engender, uh, you know, a, a, a sense of uh, urgency at the bargaining table. It hasn't worked. It's led to now games being officially missed. And, uh, you know, the game is going to be set back towards it. We've talked in recent, like within the past year, about possibilities of, you know, similar type of uh, a lockout or strike happening in the WNBA. But, you no, know, like I said before, before I like I say, Chris can explain better than me the situation again with the air, the airplanes, the charter flights. Let us know what, about this situation. And if you want to tie it into any sort of general struggle between the proletariat and the, and the, uh, and the bourgeoisie, you know, feel free. <laughs> you, you know me by now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, man, this is a, this is a really interesting story, and it deserved. Uh, first off, let's say it deserved the front page of, of Sports Illustrated with that shout out to whoever did that graphic going back to the airplane cover of the movie. But uh, back in the pandemic, I believe no, no, sorry, it was last year in twenty twenty one. Uh, the New York Liberty, uh, the owner, Joe and Claire Tsai, and Joe Tsai is one of the co-founders of Alibaba, one of the, the biggest companies, internet companies in the world. Uh, when they purchased the Liberty, they were buying another CBA that was renegotiated a couple of years back, but there was still no room for charter flights. So everybody knows that there's been an issue with travel. Um, Las Vegas and Connecticut had to cancel the game because they were going to have to do like two or three layovers and they were already flying coach. And this is basketball. So, you know, even, even in women's basketball, there's a majority of players who are 6'1", 6'2", and we, we don't fly our parents' airplanes. So we're not getting any leg room. So Joe Tsai decided that he was just going to, they were just going to, the New York Liberty were going to charter flights for their, for the team. They kept it on the hush. As uh, Howard Megdal reported in that Sports Illustrated story, Howard, uh, the former, my former boss at the next. And they tried to keep it on the hush, but other front office managers or other front office personnel noticed that timelines didn't match up if they were flying the same airlines everybody else was. And so word got uh, people got uh, sent word to the league office. And I think they, they chartered at least 12 flights um, in the story. They talk about going to Napa Valley in California for a team outing, which is so funny thinking about that 2008 Celtics team that, deliberately went on a group trip overseas, that Ubuntu trip, that famous Ubuntu trip for team unity, the Liberty pretty much did the same thing. However, since there's no cover, there was no allowances for this in the collective bargaining agreement, the league basically said, I mean, it was, it was going to be, it was going to be crazier at first. There was talks about uh, terminating the franchise. Think about that. Compare wow. that to like the Blackhawks who are one of the original six members of the new, the National Hockey League. I know the timelines don't match up, but the Blackhawks and the scandal that they are already embroiled in that is so sinister and disgusting. I don't think there's been any discussion of, of even giving the Blackhawks, suspending them from play. But because the, the 
the New York Liberty Organization chartered flights for their team. There was talks of taking away, uh, quote, every draft pick you have ever seen, possibly terminating the franchise, one of the original founding franchises of the league. And ultimately, it came down to a million-dollar fine, which was reduced to 500000 on appeal. Uh, team salary, that's about 45% of the current salary cap. So, I mean, this is Joe Sy. He can afford it because he can already afford the charter flights. But it brought up this, it's brought back this whole issue of a very simple thing that players and fans and some owners have been clamoring for. And it also, uh, Howard made a good point in the article. There's a divide between the owners of teams from kind of the before, say, 2010, I would say before Brittany Griner came in, and then owners uh, who have come in recently like joe like mark davis for the las vegas aces um like larry goddesdiener who bought the franchise in atlanta after the former senator uh vacated was was vacated from that post so those owners are willing to put money in and the former owners some of which are still comprised of nba teams are not as willing to, they, they, they want to write these teams off as a loss or park assets there as like a tax write-off. Yeah. So there's a, a definite struggle for what the league is, is. It's kind of a struggle for the soul of the league. And I know that sounds a little exaggerated, but it seems to be where things are going. The CBA doesn't expire until 2027. So even though I can tell that players and the Players Association is veering towards that, especially because even though they have all these allowances, there's um, there's the salary cap, which still has um, super maxes at 225000 um, There's no allowances for charter flights and a lot of other amenities that the players think they should get. It's, it's difficult for them to stomach. Plus, the National Women's Soccer League and women's soccer in general just got the equal pay instituted a couple of weeks ago and the NWSL signed a new CBA and did another capital investment raise just like the, the WNBA has, but for more money. So Trinity Rodman, who plays for the... The, the Washington team, right? This is the Washington team. That's what I thought. She's she getting one point, yeah, she's getting 1.1 over four years. That is about 230000 if my math is right. And that's higher than anybody's salary in the WNBA right now. Mm-hmm. Never mind the veterans like Sue Bird, who took the veterans minimum for 72K this year. And she just finished her first season. So amidst all of this stuff around, the WNBA has a lot of questions to answer, which is frankly surprising considering the direction the league looks like it's been headed. I think it's I thought things might come gradually, but I think this is going to jumpstart a lot of change. And it looks like they need it, man, because like the numbers are there. We talk about Supermaxes being two hundred twenty thousand dollars. And, you know, in the NBA, they're like two hundred twenty million. You know, it's like that doesn't work, man. And, you know, issues like this where like I say you can't even be reasonably accommodated on airplane flights. These are players who work their asses off to compete and entertain across the country, you know, and they they play year in, year out, you know, across the – now, that's another thing, too, that we could tie into current events. Players, they're players right now who are trying to uh, evade what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, 
you know, escaping Russia in particular, you know, because they they have to play. And they they didn't foresee when they entered this most recent season that they would be uh, in the middle of a war zone, uh, you know, midway through that season. So this 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 is the type of stuff that you know, female, you know, women's athletes, uh, women's basketball players have to deal with on a regular, like just second class citizenry, and you know, something has to give with this stuff, man. And I, it may take collective action from these players. And uh, you know, I'm I'm all for whatever they want to do. Just like though the base, you know, the baseball players association. You know, most people, like I say, are, are, they're gaining support day by day because we see how intractable the major league baseball is. That that you know, the owners, the organization of those owners. So it it leads you to naturally feel that these players are being it, it more and more reveals itself each day that the players are being taken advantage of and that they're not being dealt with in a in a civilized way by the owners. And, you know, as bad as that is, it's like tenfold in the WNBA. The wild thing is that not all the owners feel this way. Uh, after the after word after the story became public, Reportedly, according to the story, Joe Tsai offered a plan and the Liberty offered a plan that everybody could have charter flights for three years. He said he was speaking to airlines and it was good. You know, this is according to the story. And Howard's a quality writer who knows how to write, which means he got verifiable sources. Word has since come back from the league office that there was no proposal ever put forward and that they were just looking into it. But in the story, he says that they put the plan to the league and the rest of the owners a few owners didn't want it because they thought that after the program ended after three years, there would be more of an outcry from players missing it. And then some thought, well, we could just have another salary hike and make things okay. And you're right, Kyle, it wouldn't be okay. These are athletes who we've created this world that demands athletes be put on television that television generates tons of revenue for their leagues, for the networks, for the sponsors, the advertisers, whomever. The If you're looking at college, the athletic directors, the universities, and for the professional leagues like the WNBA, the teams, and the league itself, and by extension, the NBA. So if you're saying that you can, you can do this, you've reached the pinnacle of your sport, we're going to give you this much, we're going to keep raising the money for you, but... Every single time you fly from Las Vegas to Connecticut, not New York, Connecticut, you got to use United with those 28 inches of leg room. There's a problem. Yeah, the, the message it sends, man, like it's just, I, I know, you know, it was collectively bargained. And I know that the owners of these teams in WNBA are all coming from different perspectives. Um, they're in it for different reasons as well, apparently. But the bottom line is the Liberty were fined for trying to placate their players, for trying to accommodate their players, to trying to put them in a position where all they have to worry about is playing ball. They don't have to worry about, you know, catching flights, as you said, Chris, with accommodations that only give them 28 inches of leg room. Like, that's that's pitiful. And – 
I don't know if this story will do anything before the CBA comes up. Maybe the two sides can try to figure out a way to maybe they can tear it up jointly and come to some other agreement. But I don't know if the owners will really be into that because um, at the at the end of the day, you know, it's all about the bottom line. But just the message that comes across in this story that came out today is just it's pitiful, man. And I know Chris, I know you and um, guys like James K. You 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 already knew a lot, if not all of what's going on in terms of what the WNBA gives and what they don't give to their players. But the attention that it's going to get now, (laughs) man, I I just want to see the aftermath of what's what's going to happen. And it should get attention. It should get attention because, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but like with the new CBA or or the current CBA that the WNBA has, didn't they just make it a requirement for like the first time a couple of years ago where like players can have their own hotel rooms, like individually? Yes. Because they, they were like, they don't they, have they, to bunk they, up. They, yeah, they were bunkering up like it was college. And I remember Candace <laughs> Parker and Sue Bird talking about interrupted. And it's like, you got professional players um, bunkering up with, with one another. Like this is college. And they playing in the highest, you know, profession in women's basketball. It's like, what type of message is that seeing? And I think, you know, I'm all with the player standing up against it, even though, you know, the deal is agreed upon. Uh, I don't know if it's an opt-out or whatever, but it's definitely going to bring some attention to it. And it should bring some attention to the CBA. And and if the players want to fight for it, I'm all for it. However, who is going to, who is in a position of, who is in a position of power rather that's going to be able to help these players get what they need. Because like you said, every owner is in Joe Sy. And Joe Sy also has the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, we know that he's a big-time entrepreneur and so forth like that. And, and kudos to him for doing what he did for his players to try and make life easier on them in their travels. But it's like, it's a shame that you even have owners that are on the other side of the spectrum. Because it's like, at the end of the day, whether you're keeping your business in the aspirations to maintain profit or just for a tax write-off, you got to take care of these players. Like, it, it, it's no way that they should be able to not go or, or, or that they should rather, ha- that they should have to go to, like, a Russia or somewhere overseas just to keep making money. And it's like with these max deals, just paying attention to the contract extension that Asia Wilson signed. I was I was really shocked by that. I was like, you mean to tell me a top player of her caliber is making that much in just the W alone? Mm. It's like, I I understand it's going to be a little bit of a pay gap between men and women. And I understand that the WNBA is 25 years old going into its 26th season. But it's like, at some point, you got to figure out a way to grow this game. It's going to be key, though, is like, you know, Chris may mention this, that, and it's, it's it's, it's written about in the SI stories as well. The league, the way it started out, it was basically just a piggyback off the NBA. And, you know, so many of the teams were extensions of the NBA franchises, and they were looked at as loss leaders or write-offs or whatever. And, you know, they were just sort of distractions for these these larger franchises and, you know, whatever. They were just something that they used to, to market 
themselves in a different way to 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 a different audience of of uh, sports fans that they wanted to grow. And now, what you have now, you have more of a, gen- a new generation of owners who, you know, see, you know, hopefully they see like like this owner in in New York, they see women's sports and these franchises as true investments that they have passion about. And when you do that, you know, you're more likely to put money and resources into your franchise. And that's going to lead to them doing things that leads to winning and leads to them drawing uh, better athletes to their, to their clubs and everything. You know, it seemed to me, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the case, but it seemed to me that the reasoning in a lot of ways for the initial uh, rules in the CBA regarding charter flights is that, well, you don't want one or two franchises who may be rich enough to have these things sort of lord it over the other 20 or so franchises and create that sort of disparity that's there. Where, you know, if, you know, the Indiana franchise, for say, they can't afford charters, but New York can and Connecticut can and stuff like that. But that's that's just life, you know. That's that's what it is, you know. If you you got to step up, if you and if you're an owner in the WNBA and you can't, you come. It gets to a point where you're one of two or three or four franchises that ain't having charter fr- charter flights because you can't, you you can't or don't want to up 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 the money for it. Maybe you need to uh, put the sticks down and sell your franchise to someone <laughs> who is more willing to put money into it and be competitive. So, uh, you know, that that's that's the natural type of evolution that has to occur with a with a with franchises and with sports organizations in general. That's what happened we, we look at organizations, the NBA, the NFL, the organizations that are here and aren't going anywhere. They support each other in a lot of ways. In, in sort of a, you know, a, a, a socialistic <laughs> socialism sort of way, you know, especially the NFL. NFL, you could be a whack owner for generations. We know that here in Chicago. You could be a whack family owner, owned uh, franchise for generations, but you still getting $100 million every year off TV. It don't matter what you do, you're getting that money every year. Because that's how the NFL has allowed itself to become the the biggest, uh, you know, uh, cartel in sports in America, at least. And you can look at other organizations too in the in Europe. You know, the, the uh, Premier League. The, all these the best run organizations are all run like that. Meanwhile, in the WNBA, it's survival of the fittest. <laughs> and this when we when we see. Survival of the fittest, capitalism at its truest, most pure. This is the type of stuff that you get that we read about in Sports Illustrated today. It's yeah. definitely true. Oh, go ahead, Josh. I don't know. I'm saying, yes, yeah, completely true. I mean, in my inner Stephen A., this is blasphemous. How can you treat um, women less than their worth for the most part? Like, it just, it's it kind of baffles me how. Especially in situations like this, especially uh, you would think the NBA, as the so-called, we talk about how the NBA is like the big brother to the WNBA, 
you could you could have utilized those services to help make this type of stuff a reality too. Um, you, you know, Gabe talked about expanding the game, taking away to expand the game. The NBA maybe has to be that much more involved within the representation that they have and the power that they have. Because you want to talk about people that have power. LeBron James has power. He supports the WNBA. At one point in time, if Kobe was still alive, I would I could only imagine Kobe would be in this type of conversations, assisting with those type of things. Um, Chris Paul, you know, and things that sort. They all work and support the WNBA in, in these different realms, and they actually helped even some of them to be a representation and ownership be represented in the WNBA. Why can't they utilize those same forces to help? create better lifestyles for these women athletes that are getting, that should be paid more than what they're, what they're being viewed as right now, especially when it comes to simple accommodations and regarding the overall health and of an athlete. Um, that should, that should be common sense. And I would think that the NBA should potentially take this opportunity like they do every other uh, opportunity when it comes to uh, those against that are disadvantaged and minority uh, issues they should be able to take those same steps and apply it to this uh, situation with the WNBA. And yeah, I don't know if there's an opt-out clause. I don't know if there's a, some type of way where you can renegotiate certain terms in the CBA, but if there is, this should be one of those things that should be uh, changed or at least negotiated again. And the NBA should be at the forefront of this to me. They should be able to help out because they have more of the resources to help expand those type of experiences, especially when you have players that even themselves take charters play, take their own charter flights to different games away from the team itself. Like that's 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 a, that those are things that are happening in the NBA that should be maybe not fully allowed in the WNBA, but at least should be up, uh, up to par when it comes to taking care of the overall athlete of what an athlete goes through on a daily day on a daily basis. I get what Josh is saying, however. I feel like the NBA looks at the WNBA as like an umbrella brand. No different than like when Adidas owned Reebok. They didn't really invest in Reebok. No, they stopped investing at one point in time after Reebok had fell off. And then they started moving guys that were a part of Reebok basketball into Adidas house, such as John Wall and stuff like that. But they promoted them as their athletes when really they were Reebok athletes. That's no, like that's, that's the same thing with like the NBA to WNBA. Like, it's getting to a point where I can care less if a guy is coming to an NBA game in a WNBA hoodie at this point. That shouldn't even matter. You know, like it, at this point, what are you doing to allocate resources and opportunities? And I think it falls not just on the NBA, but for people that are purveyors and, and admirers and lovers of women basketball. Um, you know, it, it has to become a roundtable discussion, um, not only just amongst the women athletes that are participating in basketball and other sports but it also has to be a discussion in men's roundtable discussions as well when we talk about sports and, and and ask ourselves well how can we help especially the power players that have the money in the room um to me that's the only way you're gonna really really be able to get the change done i understand that it's a capitalistic society but at the same time money make the world go round and you know that's the only way that you're gonna be able to create these changes and if it's somebody that wants to acquire an ownership stake in a franchise that's significant and not just a minority stake, then they should look into the WNBA. Because to me, if you really want to grow the game or help do something that's really innovative, this right now is looking like the place to be. 
because you got so much going on on the floor, off the floor, people getting paid, underpaid, stuff like that. Like that, that's really what it's gonna have to come down to. And these next 25 years for the WNBA are gonna be extremely key. You know, granted, the NBA wasn't where it is now at 25 years old, but they're gonna have to seek to expedite this process. And I understand the comparison that is that are made between the you know the WNBA and the NBA, but I think the changes are gonna have to be expedited. You can't wait. And like you can't have the same sort of evolution occur from a league that was born in the 1950s to one that was born in the 1990s. That it has it has to speed up. There has to be some sort of speeding up there. And you know, I think you know, uh, you know, game. You definitely right. The next 25 years are going to be key. I think this next year is key. And you know, we're going to keep an eye on things definitely on this show. And uh, Chris, I'm sure, is going to keep uh, an eye on things with, uh, you know, his shows uh, with James and everything. So, uh, you know, I'm glad we were able to tee off a little bit on this one. I think we got to move about a little bit. Uh, you know, we got, uh, again, we got uh, Ricky O'Donnell coming on pretty soon. And, um, you know, I want to, like I say, move it to a couple more, uh, you know, uh, note segments before we get into, you know, talking about these bulls and talking about uh, some of the uh, the main uh, storylines going on right now in the NBA. But definitely, we're going to talk more about the WNBA as the season, as we get close to the regular season, and, uh, you know, talking about it on the court, as well as, uh, you know, some of these things that are occurring off the court. But uh, in, in the world of women's basketball, there is a positive uh, storyline that, that I'm, uh, you know, and, and it should have been brought up by our brother Joshua M. Hicks because he is covering one of this. He's covering this story, but uh, uh Nisa was a Nisa Morrow, yeah, is uh, killing it over there for those the Paul Blue Demons who are looking to be uh, uh heading to another W uh, NCAA Women's Tournament and everything. Of course, we know the great success of that program in general under Doug Bruno. But uh, this is a you know a Chicago kid here, Moro, uh, Simeon uh, product, and she's this uh, today was announced that she won uh, was a uh, freshman of the week for the fifth national freshman of the week award for the fifth time this year mm-hmm. uh, by the the uh, United States Basketball Writers Association, and I remember when they announced her winning it last week, Josh, for the fourth time, you was just like. You know they need to just give her the award already, and, and I I would imagine that would be the the case. You know, with her winning it for a fifth time now, man. But you know, this is something that you know this was popped up throughout the year, and I'm, you know, uh, you know, from your vantage point as a uh, you know a sports editor over there at DePaul covering everything, you know, what, what what's it been like looking at this girl uh, really explode on the uh, national scene? Historical. Um, that's what's really that's the word that's going around campus, man. This has been honestly a historical season for DePaul. When you think about what Anissa Moore brought to the table this year, she ended her last game 41 and 18, averaging a triple double. I mean, averaging a double double all season long. Like, no, that's unheard of and never been done in Big East play. 
uh, let alone the never alone the country as a whole and NCAA. So she's already put up historical numbers. Coach Bruno just got elected to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. So that's a historical historic moment for that for that uh, program as well. And I think it just uh, came up today on Twitter, literally for the show. For the show. We know the Paul Women's Basketball knows how to fill up the basket. They literally scored 1,767 points this year, which is the highest in Big East history. So you're talking about 1,700 points this season behind the guard play that they have of Lexi Held and Sonia Morris, who Coach Bruno told me personally is the baddest backcourt he's ever coached in the Paul Williams basketball program history. Combined with Anissa Morrow, who is the dominant freshman of that brings so many different levels to his team offensively and defensively. And Bruno has said he, that's like the missing piece to getting this team over the next hump. I, this is the, this is the season where you really have to see how far this team really can go come the postseason. Yes. They've had some ups and downs, uh, especially the late as they as go through this last stretch, but they're determined to win this thing. Sanyo is they, and they have UConn circled on their, on their calendar, that they want to win the Big East tournament against UConn and use that as a stepping tone to get to that to, to advance in the NCAA tournament. They, Are they facing them before the tournament? Most, most likely in the Big East. Most likely in the Big East. Um, they play Marquette, I want to say Wednesday, they play Marquette. And based mm -hmm. on how that game goes, they'll probably play UConn. Um, but you're talking about two times they play UConn this year. The first time you lost only twice, you, you lost by two points, pretty much almost at buzzer-beating fashion on your home floor. And then you come to UConn and get annihilated without three of their best players. That, that's, yeah. that's something that, 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 you know, that it hurts them a little bit. And they got that circle, that target on UConn's back. And especially that last game with Sonya Morris, who's the one that told me, you know, I want to win the Big East tournament over UConn, and it wouldn't be as satisfying if it wasn't against UConn. She's been out for most of the most of the last stretch of the season due to in, ankle injuries, and she wasn't even playing in the last UConn game. So there's a lot of motivation for this DePaul women's team as they're heading into the tournament this week um, to pretty much seal the deal and do it in a fashion that is like the icing on the cake to already a historical season when you talk about what Anissa Morrow has, brought, has been putting up along with um, the dynamic backcourt and scoring uh, style of play that they have, when you talk about how they've been able to fill the basket up all year long, they've had at least 10-plus games where they scored over 100 points, which has never been done before. So talking about historic history, that's how, you, that's how the terminology is, is being defined here on campus and within the city of Chicago for this program. That's really dope. That's, that's, that's really dope that – like that she's come on and made that type of impact there. And that, that's the type of thing that DePaul needs. That's the type of thing that it, it looks like they've been trying to have with the men's side. And I, I want to shout out, though, right quick. They got, like, a, a real high-profile kid, a four-star kid named Zion Cruz this week who, uh, who was playing at the Donda Academy. I wonder if he's going to be on Donda, too. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. He, uh, no, but he 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 played he played playing for the Donda Academy school that Kanye started, and they they just recently played here a couple weeks ago at USC Pavilion. So maybe that was helped uh, him make his decision. The California kid 
make his decision to want to come out to Chicago and, and play. So that's, you know, the, the men's side, I you know you get to watch them a lot because they, they play a lot in the Big East on Fox and everything. And, uh, you know, I always say they play about half, half their games don't need to be broadcast, but they got to, got to because of the Big East contract. But, you know, it, it's a good thing for them. It's something that they should take advantage of. But they have they've played competitively this year. And I know, Josh, you've spoken well of Tony Stubblefield. And it, it does seem that they are playing better under him definitely than they did under under Lato. And that's sort of faint praise. But, it, you know, but it's, it's there's improvement that's being made in that program. So shout out to DePaul. I want to shout out to right quick because – like we're gonna do a little bit more college talk with Ricky O'Donnell, who who is definitely more up on all this than uh, than all all of us save maybe Gabriel, but uh you know the the big the big time schools this is a crazy week for the big time schools like Saturday they had uh you know seven of the top ten teams lost in the country the top six all the top six teams lost in one day on Saturday which is which never happened before. So a lot of crazy stuff coming up. We're in March officially now. Tournament is less than two weeks away. So this is this is you know we getting the, we getting that madness going in. Like I say, that's the title of the show today. Mad as hell. It's for multiple reasons. You know, like I said, we haven't gotten to the Bulls yet, but that's part of that too. But but uh, yeah, I, I say shout out shout out to Paul, and and I want to shout out Chicago State. They got a big win over the weekend against New Mexico State. Which I think came into the game like twenty three wins. They went down to ninety fifth Street and got got uh got upset down there. So, you know, and I I remember like see I saw the the highlights of the last second win on t on uh I forgot what newscast, but you know that stadium down there and that you know they had a they they didn't have much of a crowd down there, but that with that facility down there and. That you know the history of the of the of the school that they deserve so much more, and I you know it would be great if Chicago State could come up for at least for a little bit, you know, and, and you know, and I don't know how long they're gonna be in the WAC conference, but you you, you don't want to be in the WAC conference, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be in the WAC, you know, uh, you UIC is shown the way I think maybe they could get into. The some uh the horizon now that UIC is leaving there, even though I hated how the horizon did UIC, but you know UIC moving up to the valley, maybe yep. you know uh, Chicago State could move up too. Cause like I said, they got a good, they got a great stadium. They they can get players down. If you were, you a were school in Chicago, you should be able to get players on some level, and you know, but uh you know they had they had a nice little march moment for themselves. Over the weekend, uh, Chicago State did, but uh, guys, we'll see. Uh, I don't know, man. It's, uh, like I said, we Ricky's coming up. Uh, anything else that's been going on with y'all that that that's come to you know that like I say has been uh, on on your mind? Any you know just been interest of, of interest to you as of late as we sort of transition to this next hour. <laughs> I'm glad y'all bought her I'm just glad y'all bought her up because she deserves it. Um, yeah. I mean, because she came in as a freshman, but I don't think a lot of people really gave her enough fanfare or really knew how good she was. 
And to me, she's probably been the best player at DePaul since Keisha Hampton when I was a freshman up there 10 years ago who made it to the WBA. And that's the last All-American, if I'm not mistaken, that DePaul has had. And I'd be pretty shocked if she doesn't win National Freshman of the Year. And I know, like, every week I'm on Twitter and I'm looking at DePaul Athletics and they say, like, every single week she's winning Big East Freshman of the Week. You know, and it's like she she deserves the credit. And I, I hope Bruno gets that run that he deserves with a player like that. Because Bruno's done everything. You know, he's won Big East championships, won gold medals. He's never been to a Final Four, though. That would be real cool to see her, even in Elite Eight. Um, you know, that to me is like their next step as a program. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Anissa Morrow has been lighting it on fire. Like, uh, there's a few people I know from Follow the Sky, uh, big ups to Robo, at RoboCoco on Twitter, but she's in, been in love with Anissa Morrow. People are so excited to go watch her play. And you're right, Gabe. Every time I go in there thinking about the history of DePaul basketball throughout the program, you know, the men's team's last big-time moment was when they had Aguirre, and the 80s, and then you could go to the Bobby Simmons era, but they they didn't make it as far. And all those years, all those wins, all the, those players who have come out of DePaul women's basketball, they have those two Sweet 16 banners at Wintrust. Haven't made the Elite Eight, haven't made the Final Four. And they're not even ranked this season. And I think this is big, Kyle, you brought it up. Uh, Josh, actually, sorry, Josh, you brought it up that DePaul wants to beat UConn. This is the first time UConn's back in the Big East for six, seven years. Yeah. And that has been the team on the mountaintop of women's college basketball pretty much since the late 2000s. When when Tennessee really started kind of sliding down after, after Coach Summit passed away, it's been UConn with splashes from Stanford, Baylor, and now South Carolina. Really now South Carolina's taking that spot. But yeah. UConn is still the one that people, if you talk to some random dude on the street, they're like, oh, yeah, is UConn playing? You know, so this is huge for them. And consider that in that loss, they lost by 24 at UConn, had two double-figure scores, and Anissa Morrow had 20 and 16. But, Josh, you're right. Three, Paige Bukers wasn't playing. Azzy Fudd only had four points. So all of that, they lost to a UConn squad that didn't have their best players and didn't have one of their most notable freshmen having an on game. So it, it's clear. It's kind of like when Lovey Smith came in and he said, we're going to do these things in this order. We're going to beat Green Bay. We're going to win the division. We're going to go to the Super Bowl. That first big step for them is win the Big East over UConn. Then you matriculate. Then you set things up. And then you put DePaul on the national stage. Because like people understand that they're a good program, but they're not at the level of Stanford or Baylor or South Carolina or um, or UConn or even, say, Iowa with Caitlin Clark, um, NC State and the ACC. These are all teams that are getting better players year in and year out. So Anissa Morrow is really, really, really key for them to have because then you draw recruits in, but they have to win. They have to show they can win when the time comes. Yeah, completely agree with all with all of you guys. And um, just I'm gonna do like a, two, a quick two part. Um, the first part uh, continuing with the Paul and what's going on with well, on the men's side. Yeah, the yeah Kyle, they've been much more competitive this year. They they, they Tony Stokes has been known for his recruiting. 
to be able to get recruit top talent. Um, even our even the point guard over there now, Jalen Terry, was a Tony Stubblefield recruit at Oregon that transferred with them over there, over here. So um, DePaul is slowly but surely going to get better in the, on the men's side. And depending on Devon Freeman Liberty's status for next season, I think he has an extra year of eligibility due to COVID. We're going to be 27 next year. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just messing with him. I mean, hey, we had we had Brandon Johnson. He's 24, 25, getting that second degree. So hey, it's, it could be possible. But hey, take advantage of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, with if he was to come back alongside with a growing Jalen Terry, along and not to mention they had two players that didn't play this year, uh, and Bynum and uh, I forgot the other kid that that's new to on the team. That then, and from what I've heard, those two are actually the better players on the out of that whole roster that you pair with Javon. So you're talking about bringing all of your talent back for next year, if you're able to pull that off on top of getting this new recruit. Um, DePaul might, might might slowly but surely make slow improvement over time next year, where they might actually make a little noise, especially since this year they've been pretty competitive, and a lot of their games that they've lost, they've had halftime leads. Um, they they have they, they struggle with putting together a forty minute game, which is what Stoey Folk talks about all the time. Yeah. And finding that set that main second option when you when Javon wasn't playing. Uh, once you figure out those components, that Tapal can be a scary can be a scary team that slowly but surely will get to on the rise, especially if Tony Silverfield continues in this upward trajectory along with the recruiting. Um, but switching over, I think we should highlight UIC a little bit real quick. Because UIC, you talked about how uh, how you were just you were just over there, right, for a game. So what? You were just over there for a game, right? Yeah, I've been I was covering on the second half of the season. Uh, so, Coach Luke Yaklik is, you know, it's his second year. He's emphasized getting Chicago talent back. He's emphasized, you know looking to get the best talent to help create the family culture that UIC needs to implement, that he wants UIC to implement. One of the ways he's done that was recruiting players from Chicago and helping them come back home. And that has been a constant theme of this season that could actually be a trend moving forward. Because oftentimes we see a lot of the kids now going to bigger schools outside of they're not staying home in the city. But if things don't work out, they're going to look at probably coming back home, especially talking about getting more playing time, playing in front of their families and things of that sort, which is something that you miss depending on what school you go to and how far you, they are away from home. So if you, with, with, with this transition, especially from a conference perspective, going to, I think it's the Missouri Valley. I think it's the Missouri Valley conference that transition. Yeah. Missouri Valley. Yeah. Um, that's going to help put USC on a bigger scale that over time you start seeing Chicago talent maybe taking a notice at that, especially since the current way the roster is currently constructed now, it's full of Chicago homegrown talents that went away but came back home. Um, I think that's going to be a big component that's going to help uh, with the program, especially since now you got Dee Brown over there as your assistant coach. That's going to help them out a lot too uh, with the Chicago talent and the Chicago recruiting. So I think they're poising themselves – 
to for potentially an elevation within the program, especially with this transfer uh, or transitioning of the conferences. So we'll see how that goes, but they, there's something to be on the lookout for this year too, for upcoming years to come. Well, look, I think uh, uh, I think Ricky's going to flake on us because he out here tweeting about the Wisconsin-Purdue game, and he ain't answering my messages now, so – he might he he cool, but I, I think he I think he flaking on us this time. But we we gonna wrap up the college stuff for now, real quick though. I'm a, I'm a shout. We talked, uh, you know, we mentioned the Missouri Valley. You know, I keep track of that because you know I come from that conference. Me and Drew SIU, you know, Chris represents with uh with, with Bradley and everything. So you know that's coming up Arch Madness this week. Uh, that was a real dope game, Loyola. Put, Loyola really came through, and just it, it's kind of sad because they really dominated the conference for while they've been there. They were trying, they were trying to win. Uh, they they went head up with Northern Iowa on Saturday for the conference, the regular season conference championship. If they would have won Loyola, it'd have been their fourth time winning it in five years. So, you know, they wound up not winning. They uh. You know, Northern Iowa held them off in overtime. It was, a, it was a really nice game. But they they're in a position, though, some people are saying that they may have to win the conference championship in the, in the tournament this weekend to get into the NCAA, which would be unfortunate if they don't make it. Uh, you know, I, I say we can't really judge anything with uh, – okay, Ricky is on, on, on board with us, so I'm going to get him on in a second here. But I'm, let me, like I say, let me do my quick spiel on the Valley. It would be unfortunate if if they didn't make it. Maybe Ricky could, could uh, uh, follow up on this too. But in, uh, like I say, in Valentine's first year, it wouldn't be an indictment or anything. I just think it would be unfortunate. But And, and it will be unfortunate too for the local scene, I think, because then we'll be reduced to just Illinois probably rooting in the tournament. And I love Illinois, but, you know, we, we can never rely – on the Illini when it comes to the tournament. So, you know, I would like to see at least another team locally make make the tournament. And um, uh, I guess that's it for the Valley. Like I said, the, uh, four, out of five, four out of five years, this they really dominated. Loyola has. They're moving to the Atlantic 10. And, you know, they're doing what they're doing. Like we said, it's, it's been this sort of Michael Chairs thing where Michael C. And they're looking for bigger money, bigger payouts, more prestige. As 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 is their right. They're a team that that's been to the Final Four and the Sweet Sixteen, in in one in the in the same graduating class. Lucas Williamson has played in both of those things. How many local players can say that? You know who have uh you know in one who have graduated within the past four years. So. That's what's that's what's up with Loyola, but let me bring in Ricky O'Donnell from uh <laughs> as we get the Brady Bunch set up here. SB Nation's on. How you doing, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. What's up, Ricky? I, I hate to pull you away from, from the Purdue Wisconsin game, but are you keeping up with it? Yeah, I got it on. We're all good. Okay. But yeah, I, I was just we we said we wanted to get some some college uh, insight from you. You wrote a 
a nice piece over the weekend uh, about the top teams losing. Uh, coming off of that that crazy Saturday that happened, where uh, seven of the top ten uh, lost in one day, and st- all the top six lost. And uh, you know, if you want to just give your thoughts on that, you know, the the way that you framed your story was, you know, you sort of seeking out weaknesses in all those top teams. So, you know, what do you think about the landscape right now? And is it a wide open thing right now? Is lit towards the tournament? Who, you know, who really are looking? Who's really looking like they're ready for the tournament? And then who's looking like maybe they're up there high up there but they may be pretenders yeah the first thing i always ask myself every year going into march madness is are the good teams actually good this year i think they are i think there's a pretty big separation between uh the teams that are going to be in the top two seeds maybe top three seeds compared to the rest of the country but that's why what happened Saturday was so surprising because the top six teams lost. Texas Tech lost as well. They're a consensus top 10 team. So uh, I think it shows that like this year is wide open in a sense because I don't think there's a true powerhouse the way Gonzaga was last year. They entered the tournament undefeated last year. You also had a Baylor team who, don't forget, would have got a number one seed the pandemic year if the pandemic didn't cancel that tournament. So you had like a very veteran Baylor team with like two super sick guards or three great guards actually uh, that had played together two years in a row, had a track record of uh, being an elite team over multiple seasons. And then a Gonzaga team last year that I thought was like one of the best college teams I had ever seen. Uh, of course, they got exposed in the national title game and Baylor proved to be the better team. But I don't feel like any team this year is on the level of those two squads last year. Uh, with that being said, though, I would expect a uh, you know a top two seed honestly to win the tournament. We'll see if that prediction ends up being uh, right or wrong, but that's just kind of my perception of the top teams versus the rest of the field this year. What What do you think about uh? I think you're muted, Kyle. Yeah, I'm muted. I'm muted when I'm not. No, no, no. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Given, given you know, what the fallout of what we got from the weekend, you know, Gonzaga stays on top despite losing the same Mary. There was some, you know, I get some of the louder people online would be Duke fans. Duke went up to Syracuse and blew them out, but that was to yeah. be expected because Syracuse isn't very good. But you know, do you think Duke has a has an argument to be number one given that they were the only top team to survive? over the weekend at least for now not like I say a lot can change over the next week but you know right now yeah. you think they have an argument i'm like less concerned about the seeds because duke's gonna be a one seed or a two seed the real question is like can they win it all i think no doubt i think duke is absolutely loaded this is like my favorite type of duke team where it's just stacked with future nba guys and from my perspective like i kind of appreciate it like uh being able to view so many high level prospects while watching one game, Paolo Bancaro is arguably the number one pick. He'll be, you know, a lock for a top three pick this year. I think he's awesome. 6'10", 250. Uh, very much has like a, how about if Jabari Parker never got injured type of game, like Jabari uh, <laughs> pre two ACL tears, just like powerful and skilled, not a super duper explosive athlete, uh, not a great leaper around the rim, a little slow footed. 
But offensively, I think his scoring package is extremely awesome. And in high school, he had this reputation as a great passer. That hasn't really shown itself at the college level at Duke. It does feel like he holds the ball a little bit and uh, sometimes becomes a bit of a ball hog. You'd like to see him pass a little bit more. But I think he's getting better on that end. And he made so many dope passes in college that I feel like, you know, maybe this is just like his role on the team. He's supposed to be a scorer. He's not supposed to be someone who is, uh, you know, looking to get others involved before looking to get himself involved. So I really like Paolo. Uh, they also have A.J. Griffin, Adrian Griffin's kid, who is yeah. an eight-year-old who looks like he's about 31, I would say. Like, this dude is just jacked as hell, great frame, and an elite shooter. He's like, let's say, 6'6", 225, and knockdown shooter i mean really really good uh i think he's a top five pick some nba gms view him more as like a back end of the lottery guy i love aj griffin i've been a fan of his for a long time he's really fun to watch he also had a lot of knee injuries in high school like missed multiple seasons due to knee injuries so he's still sort of getting healthy and like he hasn't played much basketball honestly like in his life uh because he had a couple high school seasons compromised by injury and then the pandemic so I think he's awesome. Trevor Keels is awesome. Mark Williams is like a center who's seven foot with a seven, seven wingspan, super long, super bouncy. Uh, so I think this Duke team is loaded. I think they can absolutely win the title. Am I going to pick them to win the title? I don't know. I haven't really decided yet. Uh, one of my favorite things about the NCAA tournament is the day Duke loses and everyone sort of communally <laughs> celebrates Duke going down. And if we don't get that in Coach K's last year, I'm going to feel robbed. Like, I love oh, Mercer busting out dance moves when they upset Duke or uh, Lehigh. You know, Lehigh down Lehigh. I remember that. You're so <laughs> right about that, though. Those are the best. Those are what that's one the of the crazy. best days of the year with Duke. I swear. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a yeah. comparison part. I'm not going to say it, but uh, it's, a little, it's a little risky. But it is one of my favorite. Uh, when I it's like sports Christmas, you know, when Duke loses in the tournament. So I don't know. Like I would <laughs> like to see Duke like go to the Final Four, honestly, just because if you're gonna watch these games late into the tournament, like you want the best teams and the best players playing. So I would like mm -hmm. to see Duke go in a long run. Uh, but if they get upset by some mid major, it will be hilarious. Coach K will go out with an L. And that's kind of a good scenario, too. So sort of a win-win <laughs> for the fan coming into this. In it would be year. representative of his last 20 years, kind of, you know, if, if that was to happen, unfortunately. What do you think, Gabe? I mean, his last year, I, 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 mean, out with a dub? I, I understand the hate for Duke. I've always gotten it. Um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of the tournament documentary on the ACC Network where they were talking about that with the 91-92 team, and that's how it started. So I get it. But then Coach K has Chicago roots, you know, and being a Southside guy, I mean, I always would watch a lot of his teams as a kid. And like you said, Paolo Boncaro, you know, is a top three pick bona fide. And in my opinion, he should be the number one pick. Um, I see the Jabari comparison. I can also see the Carmelo comparison. Um, he is the real deal. And I think that team does need him to be a bucket getter, particularly in late game situations. Uh, but overall, I like the talent on Duke's roster. I think that Duke does have a shot at winning a national championship as well as another school like Arizona. What Tommy Lloyd has done in his first season there has been impressive to come from Gonzaga and then lead the Wildcats back to national prominence 
in the top, you know, the um, AP top 25 poll, I think that says a lot, especially in the wake of everything that happened during the latter part of the Sean Miller era that started with so much promise. And I've always been a big fan of their program as well. So, you know, if they could get there, that would be a big deal because they haven't been to a Final Four since 2001, like when Gilbert Arenas and Richard Jefferson were there. So, and Michael Wright, who's a Chicago guy, rest in peace. So that would be real cool to see too. Yeah, I think Arizona's awesome. So I have a question for Chris here. So Arizona plays basically two centers with Tabellis and Christian Coloco. Uh, Coloco could be a first-round pick. He's just like sort of similar to Mark Williams, like a Daniel Gafford type of center, like a rim runner, rim protector type. Like Chris watches a lot of ball, men's and women's at all levels. Like how many teams do you see these days starting two centers? I feel like it's a pretty unique look. Uh, and they basically just try to pound the ball inside, and they got like two shooters. But you know the two the twin towers look. You don't get it much anymore. No, I think it was you might have gotten it up until the well in college ball. I think probably the eighties, nineties, and some of the two thousands. I'm really trying to think, but ever since Villanova was running four guards around Daniel Ochefu, there you go. It, it's like. You know, people are there's there's so much talk about five out. Everybody plays five out now, and I mean Gonzaga had uh, Drew. I can't think of his last name. Drew What's Timmy. Name? Yes, and they've always run really with I think centers. As as long as Gonzaga's been good, they've had quality centers along with a quality backcourt or, or um, a wing player. But having having. Two big guys is so maybe with um maybe with my man that they had at Arizona, the Lithuanian cat when they still had Larry Markinen because they Tarzuzi. were both seven feet. Tarzuski yes. was the All American. I remember. Yeah, I think Great so. Call. I mean, it, it's something that yeah. Arizona can do that if it's something that they have a pedigree for, but not really in other not really in other places. In mid majors, you usually see guys who, if they transfer out now, they're guards. I think those are the guys who usually come up from the mid major to a high level program, or just one of the guys who's leading the country with like thirty six points per game, something like that. I'm not saying the big man's dying out. I'm not Shaq. Um, but it's it's I think it's hard to have two big in an, in a time where the game is oriented more towards the perimeter. Yeah. Well, you, like, there's no there's not a lack of big men in the game right now at that level. When you look at like I, I you made me think we talk about the multiple big men, Ricky. I, I was thinking about Purdue. You know they're playing now. They got Stefanovic and Williams. Yeah. You know I don't know if both classified as centers, but they. They play a big. They play a. They they play some big lineups. Well, and, I was just gonna bring them up. Yeah, yeah. I feel like so they have Zach Eady and Trevion Williams. Edie, Trevion, yeah. Williams Trevion Williams, Chicago kid, I think. Right, he's from East Chicago. In uh, Zach Eady, he's the Yao Ming of the Big Ten. I mean, this guy <laughs> is like the biggest dude you've ever seen in your life. He's like seven four, seven five, but they never play him together, and they like stagger. Meanwhile, Arizona is just like screw it. Two 6'11 guys, seven foot guys, get every offensive rebound, pound the ball inside. It like it wouldn't work at the NBA level, but that's why like college basketball is cool. Cause it's just like in a sense, it's like a more pure version of the game. Like a version that like you could see yourself playing in or like 
you know, viewing in a park or, you know, a gym open run or something, you know, a team that's going two centers versus a team that's going four guards. You don't get that in the NBA when everyone is so good. So, well, Ricky, what do you what do you think about the Big Ten overall? This it's been kind of a brutal season. Like they've been knocking each other off pretty well, like throughout that top six, seven. And you know, do you think it's gonna? Do you think it's gonna be a, a, a nice battle test for a team to maybe make a run, or do you think they're gonna just wear each other out? Yeah. Great question. I mean, what, the last Big Ten team to win the title is MSU in 2001 or whatever? Is that correct? Yeah. So, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. There hasn't been a Big Ten team to win the title in a long time. But I'm going to say the Big Ten rocks this year. It's been so fun to watch the conference. It's loaded with great players. Honestly, it's loaded with NBA guys this year. Like, I feel like Io busting through a little bit is a gem of a second-round pick. Now I'm like, well, why can't EJ Liddell do that? next year at Ohio State like a dude who's just really good he's been a star but like he also has the qualities of a good NBA role player uh as long as his jumper is good and it's been good this year similar to Io made a big jump his last season uh, in three-point shooting so the Big Ten's been awesome this year so many good players EJ Liddell's a monster uh Keegan Murray at Iowa is going to be a lottery pick he's super awesome offensively defensively I feel like a little he's been slow. a yeah, not totally sold on him as an NBA guy, but, like, every time I watch him, he's pretty skilled offensively, and he's, like, 6'9", 230. He's a big dude. So, uh, Murray's been great. Johnny Davis is just a killer. He's the one guy who I'm, like, I really don't know what I think about his NBA potential because he's, like, not quick and he's not explosive, but he's just, like, amazing. And I'm, like, is this guy going to be, like – honestly, I thought the same thing about Jamal Murray back in the day. I'm, like, Murray's too slow to kill it in the NBA. And he's totally proven me wrong. You know, he's bona fide on the playoff levels, biggest spotlights, biggest stages. So, I, like, I, I wonder, like, you know, could Davis be that type of guy? And then I love watching Jaden Ivey. He's my favorite player to watch in the country. Just that burst is so rare. Uh, a really, really fast guy, always cool. That, like, maintains itself, like, being cool over the course of decades. So, Ivey's super fun to watch. I love his shot i like how he has like the coach's son thing but his mom's the coach his mom's the coach in notre dame women's basketball mm. uh, he's got like super great athletic genes in the family and uh his game is just really fun to watch so i think the big ten's back big ten ball has been great i gotta mention kofi too kofi's been a killer in illinois just incredible two year you know last two years for him uh is a big 10 team gonna win the title i don't know like what big 10 team is most likely to win the title is an interesting question i would have said purdue but their defense just stinks they can't stop anyone so they're like outside of the top 100 in defense right now so and they're number one uh so it's interesting and then like all the numbers love wisconsin and i look at wisconsin and i'm like this is johnny davis and like a bunch of dudes who i would play pickup with who suck like no one else is that talented. They still got Brad Davison. I'm like, they got no other ballers on this team, but Davis is a killer. He's so good. So yeah, I don't know. Who does anyone here have a strong take on who they think is the Big Ten team most likely to win the title? Is it Illinois? Is it someone else? I could see Illinois making a sweet sixteen run. I really like the way that they're playing right now. Um, Trent Frazier. It'd be kind of ironic too if they make a run better than last year's team. 
Right. Given, but yeah. but they they sort of more balanced this year than they were last year. Okay. Very much so. And the way Kofi's been playing, I think he's really coming into his own as a player. I think going back to school did wonders for him because uh, he was a guy that I think needed to take his game offensively to the next level. And I think he's slowly but surely shown signs of doing that. Um, Ohio State, you know, with EJ Liddell, they, they've been pretty good as well. Also, they came up with some big wins lately. I think they knocked off Illinois about a week ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so I mean it the big the big ten rather has been very competitive, um, and very deep. I, I don't know if I see one making a run to that final four, but I could see Illinois being a tough out because one thing about them, they're getting after it. And I gotta give Brad Underwood credit. Um, he's kind of brought a national buzz and a spotlight back to that program in some ways that they really haven't had since like the Bill Self era. Because, you know, even though Bruce Weber did his job, like he was winning with Bill's players and lead recruits. So it's been kind of cool to watch them this year in Champaign. Yeah. yeah. Ricky, Ricky, I want to I want to get some thoughts from you on the Bulls because we, we, we sort of putting off the Bulls talk. But uh, before before we just to wrap up the college talk, you know, what's what's one or two teams who, you know, we haven't talked about or, you know, yeah, I, I guess you know to sort of to sort of give a little uh a uh, little bit to the the betters out there or the you know people people gonna put together you know brackets or whatever you know what's the team or two out there who you can see as a dark horse or a Cinderella possibly? Uh, yeah, great question. I'm not like fully prepared to answer who I think the dark horse teams are gonna be yet. Uh, actually, I like Arkansas. I'll throw Arkansas out there. So one thing I would say is, like, in March, you want a awesome guard or just very good guard play. And J.D. Note on Arkansas just totally torched Kentucky over the weekend. They also got an awesome center, Jalen Williams, who – he reminds me of like, a Wendell Carter type. Like, he's kind of like a skill guy who's a little undersized, but he's really good. So I enjoy Arkansas – uh, who else should I put up here? Let's see. I think Ohio State could go on a run. Probably they're, uh, you know, they got this breakout freshman Malachi Branham, who I think is going to be a one and done guy now. He's really mm-hmm. come on strong lately, so I could see them. And I do see the argument for Memphis, as Gabe mentioned in the chat. Gabe can give his pitch for him, but I was thinking, like, since they got DeAndre Williams back, like, First of all, DeAndre Williams is like 25 years old and he's playing college basketball. It's <laughs> awesome. Like, you know, you think of Penny having these like top freshmen with like Bates and with uh, Jalen Duran, but in reality, like I thought this guy at the beginning of the season was going to be their best player. And when he's been in the lineup, I think they've been like pretty good. DeAndre Williams. Rick, Ricky, we was, we was talking a little earlier about uh, Javon Freeman Liberty and a couple people at DePaul. Like, we we got to put together a, a, a all American team of twenty five and older. <laughs> I love it. He's on it. <laughs> but I go ahead, go ahead. And, uh, and and then, I guess, like you know, just to talk about him to go out with it, Gonzaga. So my general takeaway is like, there's always this storyline that this coach or this program can't win the big one, mm. and it exists until they do it. Inevitably. And like an example of this would be Jay Wright, Villanova. Like they were getting upset in the first or second weekend, like every year with 
teams that were getting top yeah. two three seeds. But like they were just building a great program, and it was probably going to happen. And then it happened, and they won two in three years, right? And then like Tony Bennett in Virginia, very similar thing. And then they had the scarlet letter of losing to the 16 seed. And it's like, yeah. oh, my God, how did you lose to a 16 seed? Now they're bringing the same team back. Uh, I think DeAndre Hunter didn't play in that loss to UMBC. And then, you know, they had DeAndre Hunter back. But they had Kyle Guy. They had Ted Jerome. It was just like a really good team. It's like, well, I mean, are, is, are Tony Bennett teams, like, truly lacking something? Or is it like this is a single elimination tournament? Sometimes it's not your day. You, get, you can get got on any given day, really. And they won, you know, the next year, even though they had, they had totally insane comeback to do it. So in the Final Four. So I think I'm rolling Gonzaga this year, I think, but they're not as good as last year. I do like Chet Holmgren. I had to be won over by him, but lately I've been won over. I don't think he's going to be a big scorer in the NBA, but I just think he's like a winning player. And I just sort of like the role he can play is just like a 7-1 guy who can rip threes, who can pass. The thing that stands out to Holmgren to me is like, you know how Greg Popovich is just saying 0.5 basketball of like you get 0.5 to pass, shoot, or dribble? And that's how Chet plays. He does not hold the ball. Like Paolo, I think he holds the ball a lot. He, you know, he has other things going for him. He has a way better frame than Chet does. And the debate between them is one, two. Like, I think it's a great debate. Jabari Smith is awesome too. I would choose between Paolo and Chet. I'm, I've been a Paolo number one guy the entire year. Don't know who I'll end with. I do think Chet's coming on strong. Uh, so I kind of want to go Gonzaga to win it just because I feel like those teams that are consistently good, like, like I mean, Gonzaga's lost in the national title game twice now. This yeah. team is once again possibly the best team in the country. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at heading into the tournament. Does anyone else have a team they know they're going to pick to win it all yet? I'd Bradley. <laughs> Bradley about to make it, man. Bradley going to make it out of the tournament. They're going to make it out of the MVC tournament, first of all. You're, you're definitely well, going to win any bracket <laughs> challenge you're in if, if Brad. I don't, I'm just saying, I don't know if there's going to be an at large bid for the MVC this year because, like, Northern <laughs> Iowa's been good. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm because there's there's years where they'll get two teams in post Wichita State. Um, but Bradley, baby, it's you know, we got that squad, we got that squad. People aren't talking enough about rank mast. From the Netherlands, Netherlands has got plenty of ball players throughout history, and he's about to go. put up 30, 30, 15 over this weekend and get Bradley to the tournament. And they're going to have they're going to be the first team to win the whole thing out of the six, the fifteen seed. I was going to say sixteen, but they're mid major enough that they won't get a sixteen seed. So put it on your calendars. All the betters yeah. out there. Throw down your money on Bradley. Lock. <laughs> Chris is insuring all. You won't have to put down much either to it's get a lock. lock. Right, where's, where's my Where's my button? I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> but now, I was I was gonna say you know uh, yeah Gonzaga uh, would be a hell of a story because of their history, but and but going back to Memphis would probably be the best story because of where they were. Just a few weeks ago, when Penny was cussing out the media, like <laughs> you know, they they brought in Imani Bates and all these kids this year. They was, it was they thought they had to have thought it was like the wire line. It's like you thought it would be one way, but it's the other. Like <laughs> they, they had to thought that this season was going to be one thing. It turned into a whole other thing, but now it's turned into something else where they may actually be a competitive team that could 
um, you know, make noise in March after this sort of like down period that they had. They had a tough time taking care of the basketball early in the year. That was a team that I was very excited to look forward to watching because of Duran and Bates being this package deal. Um, and, you know, all the hype and the hoopla, you know, combined with Penny. And I thought it was well-deserved and earned, you know, with the credentials that all three of them have. Um, but at the same time, they had a tough time taking care of the ball um, in many games, committing like up to 18 to 20 turnovers a night. And I think that's what ended up costing them a lot of games. And you see that a lot with a lot of young teams. Like it takes them time to learn how to win and come together as one, as a unit, cohesively. And they're finally starting to pick it up at the right time. You know, they winning some big games in conference play. Um, and if they can continue that going into, you know, the American tournament and make some noise there and potentially possibly win it where they will secure a bid for themselves as opposed to being like one of those on-the-bubble teams, then they could be a team that a lot of people – say hey watch out for them uh gonzaga i like gonzaga and i think mark few is the best coach in college basketball without a national championship on his resume he's definitely the most accomplished so at this point he's done everything in the game and now it is time to win a national championship and all the recruits that he's starting to get there gonzaga is no longer that mid-major you know that they once used to be looked at as the underdog anymore like this is kind of like the new UNLV, if you will, of the West Coast. They just got to win it. Well, yeah, like I said, we we going a little bit long here, so uh, I'm gonna get get uh, get us straightened uh, with the bull stuff here before we uh, sign off soon. But uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna let you go, Ricky. But I just want to before we let you go, I want to just like I said, get your thoughts on. The, on the team right now, you know, uh, you're, you're just known for your Bulls coverage as anything else, man. What do you think about the team right now? And is it one thing that I've we've sort of all gone over is like uh, on the show is like where do you see the, them landing by the time the playoffs start? And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys have been like four, five, six, you know. What, what, it's, it's like an old – Game of CeeLo on the East Coast or something, but uh, <laughs> but Ricky, what 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 spot do you have? Do you think the Bulls are sort of destined to land now because they're not showing us much to be uh, confident in in regards to their play against the top three teams? So maybe they're not a top four team as we have hoped. Yeah, back to back losses. It was tough. I mean. They played decently well in the Grizz game, but Morant was just like Superman and willed them to a victory. What was disappointing about that game is that Vooch got totally outplayed by Adams. Vooch had been playing pretty good lately, though. I actually didn't see last night's game because anyone who knows me knows I play pickup on Monday nights. If you guys ever want to come, hit me up. We're playing Winter Park. Uh, listeners, not so much, but if you guys want to come. No, I'm doing <laughs> Ricky said, don't talk to me in the Uber pool. Wait, did I just invite a bunch of people to my pickup round? I should I should limit it. It ain't that many, Ricky. Don't worry about it. But. So what I'm more interested in, and like not just like what seed they're going to get, because honestly, the schedule is really tough coming up uh, without Lonzo and Caruso. I could see them dropping in the standings. They're going to need DeRozan to just save him every game. The last two games, he's been a little off. Uh, I still kind of think like you live by DeRozan, you you die by DeRozan. So I'm sort of cool with DeRozan just like taking a bunch of shots and 
I do think that's probably their best chance at offense. To me, the barometer of the team is Vooch. When Vooch plays well, the Bulls usually can win. When he plays poorly, and especially without Lonzo and Caruso, it's like there's no room for error for Vooch to play poorly. But Vooch has been good basically since those guys have been out, since Grayson Allen kneecapped her boy, Caruso. So I'm feeling – I'm still feeling good about the Bulls, honestly. And I think I might be alone in this on the fan base, just like based off the chatter I'm seeing. So obviously the Bulls are not going to be the favorite in a lot of these series. And that's just more what I'm interested in now. Like, you know, who would you take in this matchup or how would you rank the opponents? Like, if the Bulls play the Heat, they're not going to be the favorite. I would say that series probably 60-40 Heat. But I can I can see the Bulls taking them. I honestly could. Like, I don't think they'd be – I think they'd have a good chance to win the series. I don't think that the series would be over before it starts, for example. Uh, and I didn't see the game yesterday, so I can't really speak on that. But I do know the other – It didn't look that great. <laughs> yeah. They looked bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe the Heat are a bad example to use here, but like you know the. Well, you know, last last week last week I, we had the discussion about who would be the team that you would want them to see last. I think me, oh, yeah. Josh, and no, me, Gabe, and Drew mostly talked about that, and we we sort of came to the Nets conclusion. But yeah. I think I, I may have to change that to the Heat now. Like they beat the Nets twice, though they whooped the Nets twice. Yeah, Just but the no, post trade and everything, but. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not that confident in the Nets overall right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to get themselves together in the right way if they have enough time to do that this year. Now, Sixers, yeah. Sixers may they may be where they want to be right now. Like I said, the Heat are just the Heat haven't really had to do anything, and they're still waiting on uh, Oladipo to come back. I mean, they're, they're tough, man. They're tough. Uh, Sixers look great. The Bulls have never beaten Embiid since Embiid's joined the NBA. That's truly an incredible oh, stat. And, yeah, I mean, Embiid just abuses the Bulls. Like, he – the game they played in – I think it was a February game where him and DeRozan both went off. Sixers won that game. Embiid was incredible. He scored, like, you know, 40-plus. Uh, in Harden, I mean – he's looked amazing in these first two games. And my issue with Harden was like, where is he physically? Right? Like a lot of people worry about him, like mentally and stuff. Like, is he going to be engaged, checked in? I'm just like, I don't know. He just didn't look as quick as he has in years past. So I wanted to see like, you know, does Harden still have that burst, that explosiveness? And he's looked like it these first two games. Still, if I'm playing the Sixers, my defense is let James Harden get his, let him dribble a hundred times try to limit the shooters, try to somehow limit Embiid, even though he's totally incredible and can score in any scenario, basically. But, yeah, I mean, if the Bulls played the Sixers, I honestly think that might be the scariest matchup. But I don't know. Like, the Bucks are a little diminished now if Brooke Lopez doesn't come back. P.J. Tucker is gone from there. So, I don't know. Like, Giannis is incredible, but – if the Bulls could keep that series in the half court instead of in transition, I think they could have a chance against Milwaukee. So, yeah, I'm, like, a little bit more interested in, like, what the playoff matchup is going to be uh, than where they're going to finish. But I'd probably agree with you guys. Probably, like, four, five. I don't know. You know they, may wanna, they may want to be in that four or five spot. Like, if you get Milwaukee in four or five, and then maybe you take your chance with Miami in the second round. 
maybe yeah. there's still a pathway to the carbon fiber there. You know, after I mean, this week, after this week, the most desirable matchups I see for the Bulls probably Atlanta and Boston. Boston being higher than Atlanta, just for the simple fact that even though you got Tatum and Brown in the mix, that's a two-man team. If one of those guys is off and neither one of them is on, like you can pretty much rest assured that you're gonna take care of business as long as you play defense and keep guys in place. Only thing, only reason I'm gonna push back on that is because with that trade they made for Derek White, bro, they have. That's a good point. Every one yeah. of that those alive that, that they could potentially put on the floor. You know, when you look at the Bulls' the strengths, when they, you talk about Levine and DeRozan having two guys that can take and make tough shots, Brooklyn's got, what, four guys that can cover? They can at least play, um, make it tough for those for those two guys. So I don't. I, that's my only pushback on Boston, plus to your point, they've been playing some excellent basketball um, uh, uh, lately. So I don't I don't know, man. It's just – it's it's there's no escaping it, man. It's tough matchups no, wherever you land. Um, that's just the way the Eastern Conference is right now. But I still, I still, as much as I want to say, or as much as I don't want to be a homer, and I want to say, like, man, I, I just, I don't, I think that maybe the Bulls are, whatever you want to say, a year ahead, or maybe a superstar away, or whatever, uh, power forward away. I keep coming back to the fact that they have two guys that can get you buckets late in games, and for the most part in the playoffs, you know, it comes down to that. Um, and not only can DeRozan and Levine get you buckets, they can also get to the free throw line, especially DeRozan. So, you know, it's it, I keep going back and forth in my mind. Um, and they 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 almost got that game Saturday. Like yeah, if DeRozan but, has like a if DeRozan has a half, like DeRozan scored thirty on Saturday, but he didn't have a good game. If he, he has a good game, they beat Memphis on Saturday. See, yeah. I, I just wonder if. And I know Donovan was asked this question. I wonder if he if he tried that two big lineup. You guys alluded alluded to it in basketball earlier uh, with Arizona. But if he would have stayed Thompson a little bit longer and put Vooch on the court with him to yeah. battle uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Adams, um, maybe they would have came up with some of those late game loose balls, offensive rebounds, because um, that's been a bugaboo too. Uh, as much as we talk about the Bulls' struggles without Caruso and Ball. They've played okay in spots, but they just haven't been able to secure the rebound. And then it just, you know, sucks the life out of you. And as we saw on Saturday, pretty much cost them that game. Yeah. Yeah, Trish should have been out there. Ain't no excuse for that. I had a major problem with that because you rally back in a ball game with him out there. Defensively, you were getting stops. He was doing what he's assigned to do. I mean, Tris done played at the highest level in the finals. Mm-hmm. And done been a menace on the boards. You got that's what you bought him here for. At some point, you got to play matchups. And I don't think it was Vooch Knight on Saturday. It just wasn't. He was getting dominated, like Ricky said, by Steven Adams, who is a brute and, and dominates a lot of opposing bigs on other teams. And Jaron Jackson himself, they didn't even do a lot of talking. That changed in that fourth quarter. If they'd have played like that all game, it would have been a different game, even if DeRozan was cold. Yeah. And then I just think, like, I, I totally agree. I would have played Tristan over Vooch. But, like, also Tristan just came to the team. Vooch has been your guy. You're riding with him all year. Vooch was getting his ass kicked, though. And Vooch's play is pretty it's pretty wide spectrum of outcomes. But he, he has bad games. He also has awesome games. And, yeah, I just come back to the idea that Vooch is the barometer of the team. 
Uh, would like to see more Tristan. Been really impressed with what he's provided. Don't think they should play him at the same time, only because like they really need this floor cleared for DeRozan shooting mid-range shots. And that's probably the best way to do it is to put threats, three-point threats on the floor. But yeah, I don't know. I'm totally, I echo Drew's sentiments 100% in terms of like, I also don't want to seem like a homer, but I kind of think the Bulls could have a run in them because of what Drew said. Game slows down in the playoffs. I think DeRozan is poised for a huge playoff run. And he's never done that in his career. He's sort of been defined by his playoff failings in terms of his national narrative to this point. I think he's primed for a big playoff run. I think Zach, as long as the knee is feeling fine, that's one of my big questions about the Bulls right now. Like, how healthy is Levine? Is Levine going to be 100%? They need him to go on a run like uh, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, Devin Booker. Those guys have all done the last, like, three years, four years. But – I mean, maybe it's just like my my belief in Lonzo and Caruso to just like change yeah. everything. Yeah, you, you got to project things with them involved. Like, yeah, it, it was so great to see uh, to see Caruso active in, in the, the practice before the Miami game. PP Will was active as well. No, no cast anything on either. They were they were practicing regularly. So my thinking, yeah. It's always been like we got to see what this team is like with at least two of those guys on the court, back on the court. You know, until then, it's hard to completely gauge them in the way that you want. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure those guys haven't, haven't played haven't been haven't played a full game together since like December twentieth or something like that. Technically, I think they played another game, but Caruso left like after three minutes or so. I think that was. Right, hamstring issue. So it's been a while. Never seen this team in full strength because Pat got hurt um, early on. Kobe White was hurt. What with the first month, yeah. month and a half of the season. So I just want this team to get healthy so we can see what exactly is here. See guys that are pushed into the role they were supposed to be playing all along. It'll be interesting to see if Donovan keeps Green in the starting lineup the whole way through. If he starts playing matchups. Um, if he ever tries uh, Patrick Williams at the small ball five. So it's, it's still a lot of a lot of interesting storylines to, to be had here for sure. And Ricky, I know you you mentioned DeRozan and you mentioned um, Vucevic. You did not mention Levine in terms of just, um, you know, who kind of sets the team, the bar for the team. Was that because you you know what you're going to get from Levine or is it because you're not you're not sure how he might perform in the playoffs? Well, I, I'm worried about his injury. Okay. I mean, he got the cortisone shot, but like, I mean, they basically just shot him up. Like the injury is still an injury, but like, he's going to play through it and he's not going to feel it. Cause we put a bunch of drugs. In. So like, how is that going to work in the playoffs? I'm just interested about that. I think Levine's awesome. I think Levine deserves so much credit for this team's success because listen, he's in a contract year. He just put up these big-time scoring numbers last year, and he willingly took a step back for the team. He, like, sacrificed personally so the team could benefit, even in, like, you know, late-game scenarios, like seeding the ball to DeMar. Uh, I feel like he's not getting enough credit for how good of a teammate he's been. And uh, to go a step beyond that, just, like, his skill set is so scalable. Like, for example... 
Jimmy Butler might be he's probably a better player than Zach in a vacuum, but Jimmy Butler and DeRozan just wouldn't work because no one could stretch the floor. They'd be two guys mm. looking for their own offense. And Zach, it's like you could pair him next to anyone. That's why he's so good. Uh, you know, you could use him in so many different – like he'd be great next to LeBron. He'd be great next to Luka. He'd be great next to Harden. He'd be great next to Chris Paul. He'd be great next to Jokic. He's like good next – or Giannis. He's good next to anyone because – he can play on or off the ball. He has awesome three-point shooting ability. And, yeah, he's got defensive limitations. You don't want him to be, like, your full-time decision-maker on offense, I would say. But is your second-best player or is your, like, number – sort of your quote-unquote number two? On the Bulls, I'd say him and uh, DeMar, like, you know, 1A, 1B. But uh, really, DeMar has sort of risen to be the guy who they trust at the end of games over Zach in a lot of instances. But, you know, they help each other because Zach uh, spaces the floor so well, plays so well off the ball. So I think Zach deserves a lot of credit. I just hope he's healthy. That's a great point. All right, All right guys. We we going to wrap up. We, like I said, we, we went a little long here. We I didn't know the whole crew was going to be in here, plus Ricky. But uh, I'm really happy how things went. This is, this is a nice show. We all uh, got a little bit in and everything. And uh, we, we – we, we went over all the things I wanted to go over pretty much, except well, I wanted to go over the the ranking of the 75 anniversary, 75th anniversary team. We we could hold that off, but that's, that's, a, whole, that's a whole episode, man. I want to listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll try to get into that soon, but I definitely want to get into Job and Rant before we leave because that's that was the whole thing today. And in, in uh, you know, when the, the uh, I the the media cycle today, basketball cycle, like he comes off he comes off the forty six point performance here in Chicago with a fifty uh fifty piece uh on Monday and you know, a couple of amazing highlights and you know it, it's amazing to me because you know on Friday you know uh we was all wrapped up with the Rosen in the street and you know Stephen A comes on and says nobody should be ahead of the Rosen in the MVP, you know, <laughs> but today, like, today, like, it's all about Durant, like, it, it, but that's how the, that's how the MVP has been all year, like, it's been hopscotch, you know, who, you know, one minute is Embiid, and one minute is Joker, you know, yeah, it's, it's been going back and forth, but, you know, how impressed are we with Ja at this moment, and what do you think is his staying power, and, you know, I, I kind of want to go into. We don't have enough time for this, but the Derrick Rose stuff has been comparison stuff has been uh, unnerving me too. But now we have to say that for another show as well. But for now, just what y'all think about the way Ja had emerged and is he is he the leader right now in the clubhouse for MVP? No, <laughs> he's not the leader, but he's, he's definitely okay. a top three. He's a top three candidate now. And he surpassed Steph based on the way in which he's played as of late and what he's done in Memphis. And I think you have to consider him as a front runner for the MVP award going into next season, just based off his play right now. You know, there's no, there's nobody in the league that can stop him um, getting to the rim right now. He's, he's getting it too easy and he's going to become a nightmare for a lot of scouts and, and video guys going into this summer because they have no answer towards stopping him and resisting to the rim. You know, and when he's able to get to the paint that easily, 
and do majority of his damage there. And he's hitting the three ball, which he showed the other night when the Bulls wanted to go under screens and whatnot. You it, you pretty much toast at this point. You know, the, the league is in his hands. Um, among all the point guards with him and Trey are doing right now, amongst the 25 and under guards. Um, it's been real fun to watch, but he he's definitely up there. If I had to pick today, Joel is still my MVP, and I would put DeRozan second, and I would put Ja third. Um, but everybody should expect more 50 balls coming from Ja. I think he got at least one or two more left in him if he keep playing the way that he's been playing over the last couple of weeks. Okay. And you might as well jump in quick. He's just so much fun to watch. You know, like, I like an idiot. I wasn't super high on him in the draft. I'm like, I don't know. He's kind of skinny. I don't really trust the shot. Terrible. I feel so bad about that mess. I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb. How could I miss that? He just has the it factor, you know? It's like he's so athletic, so quick, and he's also, like, super tough, and he's creative, and he doesn't back down from any challenges. And his passing vision is, like, really elite. I would say he's one of the best passers in the league. The shot has improved. He scores in the second level. And it's so funny, like, when that draft was going down, I was covering that draft, and so much of the discussion was like, if you even question the fact that Zion Williamson should go number one, cancel. You're like, no. You can never you trust mean? the discussion. You can never like, trust the draft discussion like it's that. It's a no-brainer. Like, of course you would take Galvin. I'm still super high on Zion. I love Zion. I hope he gets healthy. Players have missed seasons with a broken foot before, like Michael Jordan in his first, what, second season or whatever. So, yeah. uh, But Jaw's awesome. It's been so much fun to watch. I think the D-Rose comparisons, I think they're apt. They play similarly. They're both just thrilling players to watch. So I love the creativity. I love the mindset. But, Ricky, you know, the only thing with me is is we got 16-year-olds now like, oh, oh, Derrick Rose ain't nothing, you know. Yeah, why he even win the MVP? You, you know who I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> That's a compliment. I don't know. Like my dad probably would have said, said the same thing about, you know, Isaiah or someone before my time. So that's the game. The game improves the game. How about this? Like, could John Morant exist without Prime D Rose? Prime D Rose sort of like paved the way for how a point guard like John Morant can succeed in the NBA. The that's game fair. builds on the game, you know? That's what it's all yeah. about. That's why I love AI. AI has so much love for everyone. He just seems like he's in a much better place than some of these former players who are just hating all the time. Yeah. AI is just like, yeah, this guy rocks. Love him. <laughs> you know, like he's just like showing love to all the young guys. And I just think well, like, the it, game improves the game over time. It, and, and I'm going to mention that right quick. I, I had the tweet to you of Josh, he put Josh Jersey MVP. over his MVP trophy. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, that I love AI too. I love that about him. But sometimes it's like it's like the old cat who come around the block, like, oh, you got it, young, and you know, you know, you know, he, he be a little bit too friendly, like you know, he, he, you know yeah. I, I, I love AI comes from a good place. Y'all know that. So yeah, low low key. Just to talk about the team real quick, they're a game behind Golden State for that second seed, and they have the according to Takeathon, they have the second easiest schedule moving forward. So. Mm-hmm. A good chance they they sneak into that. Not even sneak. They they get into that second spot and they are gonna make life very difficult for whoever they face. Um, one thing that might hurt 
Moran's MVP case is that the team went 12 and two or has been 12 and two without him in the lineup this year. Take that for whatever you want, but um, he has been awesome. There's, there's nobody, no doubt about it. That, that depends on if anybody ever actually agrees on the definition of most valuable player, though. We're not. We won't I got to hear this, man. There's no definition of it. Everybody just loves to argue about it. That's why it's, it's like, a narrative award. Yeah, I love hate when it comes around. Right, right Gabe. It's a narrative award. It's the most yeah. valuable. It's the most valuable to your team. No, it's the most valuable to the league. No, it's the best player on the team who's done the best. And I'm like, y'all don't know. Y'all, y'all don't actually know. That we have all these stats for basketball now, and we still can't figure it out. Like that's the craziest part. I will say this: the one thing I want to say is John Moran is is super cold. I love the fact that he came out of Murray State and is doing this because even in the NBA, except for the guys who came out of Europe, and most of those guys were at top European clubs before they came over. You don't see too many guys, uh, I think, that break through from non non like power five conferences steph curry was overlooked because he was small but i just don't think there's a lot of guys from that that said we only have maybe two or three more years of watching steven adams throw baseball passes to a leak out john moran and i want y'all to treasure those times because that's one of the best duos in the league (laughs) it's really good i'm a steven adams stan i I swear there's if there's one NBA player that I want to interview, it's him. It's him. <laughs> <laughs> that dude is awesome for sure. Drew, yeah. I can see you picturing yourself as Steven Adams on a, on some pickup games. Like, I'm gonna be Steven <laughs> in this game. Like, no, nah, that that that's Aquaman, man. I'm not setting those screens like that. I'm too old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially when you talk about these small market teams, especially mm-hmm. the past couple of years. You're talking about how Giannis took over the reins and elevated, you know, really capitalized on his commitment to Milwaukee and brought them a title. John Moran, ele- John Moran himself elevated the Memphis Grizzlies to what they used to be, um, especially uh, during the uh, the bad boy Grizzly era with Tony Allen yeah, and those yeah. guys, man. I yeah, mean, I know. yeah, yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's an exciting sight to see and a good way to balance out the league when you talk about the overall competitiveness of yeah. the game. So it's definitely a good spot. NBA is in a good spot right now if things continue the way that they're going, with especially those two staying put in those franchises as they continue to elevate them into elite status. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Fellas, thanks again. I really appreciate y'all. Was, uh, this was a nice run, man. This was a busy run, but it was a nice one. Uh, I'm gonna get us all off, uh, Ricky. I'll let you see the sec. I'm gonna I'm gonna check the second half for that uh, Purdue Wisconsin game as well. But let, let people know how to how to check uh, up with you and your work online. Uh, you can find all my work at sbnation.com. I'm gonna be doing a lot of uh, college like March Madness stuff, a lot of uh, playoff stuff, and a lot of draft stuff. So find it all there. Definitely, and I got a Bulls podcast. Cash considerations. We should get you guys out. Yeah, meaning to do that. Yes. Please do. Please do. <laughs> Drew and uh, uh, Josh. Josh has a podcast that he's had almost all of us on. I think at this point. So. Let <laughs> 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 I'm giving you a chance to shout out your podcast, Josh. Come on. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, I mean. 
Nigga, nothing but facts. I'm, I'm, Ricky's been on it. I'm working on you, Gabe. I am working on you. I'm working on you. But everybody for sure has been on been on the end of scope with the one and only Joshua M. Hicks. Come on now. Like, that's a given. That's a given. Yes, sir. You too, Chris. We go, we, go, we go way back, though, with the sky. We, we was doing the sky stuff. We was doing that, you know. That was my independent form of the, of the, <laughs> of the end of scope with you. But I definitely got to get you back on too. Everybody has, is going to be on the In Disco platform with the one and only Joshua M. Hicks coming up soon. Like, it's going to happen. So, definitely be on the lookout for all of that as we continue to move forward into the NBA season and for preparation for more afterwards, especially with the WNBA. So, we it got a lot coming your way uh, very, very, very soon. Yeah. Chris, you got a Skyhook podcast? Yeah, the Skyhook's going to be coming out um, again soon. Uh, James and I have been doing a lot more this offseason. We are talking about putting up a Patreon, so look out for that. Um, but, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff coming out from the Skyhook, especially if the MLB stays locked out. It'll be the one and only place for sports in the summer, and the Chicago Sky got to defend that title. So check it out at the Skyhook Pod on Twitter. Also, um, What's Good Radio, I'm on a, taking a bit of a break for now, but I'm going to be back coming up in the next couple of weeks, putting out episodes, just talking to people about what carries them each day, what the, where they find the good in their lives and what they do. Hmm. And if, if you want to hear, if you want to hear somebody badmouth Matt uh, Manfred, you know, Chris Penn is a good, good follow for that. So, yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably, probably you you, and, you and Marcus Stroman. Uh, uh, both uh, firmly in the anti-rob. Marcus, I feel your Marcus, pain. Come on the podcast. Come on the podcast, man. We'll debate how the how the how the league tried to not let you wear your your your, your do rag. <laughs> that won't even be a debate. We'll just talk. We'll just we'll just talk straight about it. Right. Drew, Gabe, what, what's going on with y'all, man? Before we head, before we head out. Just follow me at what Gabe said on Twitter. I'll be on there all the time talking ball. Don't have really much on the writing scene. I haven't written in a minute, but I will be getting back into that space pretty soon. Um, we'll be starting to do some things as the year goes along. I keep everybody posted on that. Amen. You can follow me at look what Drew did. Kind of been tweeting more than writing, but trying to find the balance here and there. But always talking about bulls. Just battles. getting shout outs on from Adam and me on the back. So humble. <laughs> I missed it. I missed it live, man. I hated it, man. I hate That's that. Crazy, Drew, man. Yeah, he's Drew gonna get, <laughs> get his straight off the tweets, man. He ain't he ain't got to go more than 140 <laughs> characters no more. He got to remember that. None of that nature no more. Drew for the host of the pre and post game show, just because I have a lady beef for Jason. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's that's true that man and no me man Kyle means means matters uh personal war media for business and we keeping it rolling man as always uh NBC Sports Chicago support that as well. I'm I'm still working on my binds on there. But you may Drew Drew recognized something I wrote there. So that that's why that's my man cuz he recognized it straight off the word play. So, I heard, man. I'm telling you, I'm reading it like Kyle wrote this, man. <laughs> I already knew. I didn't have to see the byline. I'm already, I'm already knowing, man. Yeah, love, love. <laughs> your, your voice is your voice, man. I appreciate. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. 
but yeah, that's it, man. We doing it, man. Keep keep up with us, man. Uh, you know, we uh go keep up, uh, keep rolling with this bull stuff and college or whatever, man. We in WNBA, we got all for you. That's why, you know, we are the the best basketball podcast you ain't talking about yet. So let's change that real soon. Running with war. We still running. We're going to keep it going. Peace in the Ukraine. And in the meantime, keep bouncing.